All right, number 14, a little late. Sorry about that. Not that anybody probably cares, but a couple days behind my usual schedule. Ah, oh, Mount St. Anne is come and gone. That was really good. Probably my favorite race to watch other than Snowshoe this year. That was my probably my, my favorite of the year. Um, we got Puck Peters, of course. Peters, uh, I don't know. I've heard everybody say that differently. Talk about that. We got uh, Rizved's had a few good comments and some interesting gear talk and a little bit of old school something I found that was pretty darn amusing uh, okay let's go this is short travel magazine short travel magazine Interesting tidbits. Curated just for you. All right. Not much for tidbits this week, but one uh, tidbit that is completely unrelated in many ways to cross-country mountain biking is Tyler Hamilton. Anybody remember Tyler Hamilton? I'm sure you do. I found a uh, quite an interesting speech that he gave. It looked like a corporate gig where he was talking to a large maybe insurance company or something, you know, a paid speaking private engagement. Somebody filmed the whole thing. And yeah, I mean, we've, we've all, at least I have, have heard his story many times uh, since he's been uh, taking the rounds, talking about uh, the drug use and all that stuff. But uh, there was some really interesting new information that I don't think I've heard him really talk about. I don't know if it's because it was a private event and people were kind of freelancing and just asking him questions at the end so it wasn't really part of his you know uh his his rehearsed uh, speech if you will but it was very interesting and you have to remember you know mountain bike racing was of course going on during this whole time and i'm not gonna just say oh only the europeans you know they were the ones doing all the drugs because clearly that's not the case but it happened to also be kind of the peak of the European takeover in the mountain bike world. Suddenly at all these cross-country events in the late mid to late 90s, it's like, uh, you know, U.S. riders, certainly the original kind of old school, the Tomacs, the Tinkers, the Neds, all these guys, they were just completely gone out of it, uh, not even a factor anymore. So if you do that, just Google... Uh, Tyler Hamilton's speech, I believe it was Australia, and you'll find it. I believe that's how uh, I found it a second time when I was looking for it. So go check that out. It's kind of interesting. If you apply what he says to the cross-country mountain bike world, I think that kind of answers some things uh, about kind of performances and behaviors back then. What else is a tidbit? Uh, there's a lot of things, but uh, they fall more into the gear category. So that's my main tidbit, other than the season's over, and I'm going to be starting to heavily follow cyclocross starting this weekend, and uh, we'll talk about Iceman a little bit too. All right, let's do some uh, gear talk. Changing gears. More new stuff we don't really need. All right, let's talk about Trek killing the Bontrager name for their 
uh, accessories and non-bike products. Why would they do that? I don't know. Uh, everybody's gotten used to the Bontrager name. Um, it's been there for, you know, decades. I'm not sure why they would do that. The new pedals they just came out with, of course, are Trek pedals. Uh, I've seen some clothing that are just, you know, it's now Trek clothing. They do have some new mountain bike shoes that are on the way, <clears throat> which they should because the ones they've had have been out forever. And I wouldn't, wouldn't, uh bet against them just calling those trek shoes so i'm not sure why they would do that from a marketing perspective i know specialized just doesn't have another name for their uh for their house brand but hmm, maybe it's just to kind of level up with them a little more personally i like the bond trigger name first of all it's old school and i remember bond trigger bikes you know frames and stems and so maybe that's all it is for me is purely nostalgia. But I don't know. It just seems like a, a little cheaper feeling to just have it called Trek Pedals, you know. Let's talk about pedals, too, because they just came out with a whole series of new pedals, including a series of lightweight cross-country um, pedals, which look, no pun intended, just like look pedals. So now this is nothing new. They've had a pair, at least one of... Uh, SPD compatible style, if you will, pedals for years and years. And they looked like, uh, you know, they were the same as, I don't know, HT or Welgo or Richie's who were just ripoffs of Welgo's or made by them. So they were nothing special. They clearly were just kind of, to me anyway, they looked like off the shelf stuff that they just went to Taiwan and said, hey, we want to stick our name on a pedal. And that's what these look like. So I'm not sure what is that that's all about now i certainly don't think team maybe they are team trek factory racing is going to be using these pedals i don't think so i think that's maybe the one area where there's some leeway there and since ram doesn't at least right now they're not pushing their uh, i think they bought time is that correct timer they didn't buy look did they? no i think they bought time pedals but they've not made seemingly any push whatsoever into the uh into the pedal market like kind of thought they would try and compete uh you know against shimano a little better so i don't know it's kind of weird i kind of not thrilled that they're going to change all that stuff to just trek but all that really matters is the products are decent i guess the pricing wasn't anything special on the pedals so it's not like uh anything you know you could save a bunch by doing a house brand um and that got me thinking, why not offer anybody who buys a bike over, I don't know, let's say a thousand bucks, even a couple thousand bucks. Why not give them, you know, a pair of pedals? Because people might actually like them, start using them, spread the word, buy another couple pairs for their other bikes. And, you know, they could, wouldn't hurt. I mean, on a $5,000 bike, I can't believe a, a pack of pedals that might cost them 20 bucks would really uh, matter. But... Anyway, that's just my thought. The other interesting news out of Trek is that they are selling used bikes now. That's right. You might have seen an email come through your email box last week, I believe. It's called the Red Barn, what do they call it? Red Barn Refresh. Red Barn Refreshed Bikes. Um, funny thing is, if you go, 
I believe it's uh, truck bikes. Da, da, da. You'll see it on their homepage or just Google Red Barn Refresh. But I just did a search for full suspension mountain bikes, carbon. And I don't know if these prices really would ever get me. Maybe it's just because I'm I'm not going to spend eight or $9,000 on a bike. And if I did, it most certainly wouldn't be a used bike, even through this program. Um, just not interested. You know, they, they're top of the line, top fuel. This is, let's see, 2022. So 2024 is around the corner. This is a, and this could have been purchased in 2021. So it could be up to three-year-old bike already. Um, 80. 8980 well $9,000 instead of $11,400. So yeah, $2,500 off a new one. But to me, that's where it should be in the first place. $11,500 is so astronomically insane. I still can't believe I'm even saying it out loud. Uh, how quickly they went from top of the line was seven or eight to 12 in like a couple years. That's insane. Um, so they've got some 2023s, same price, $9,000. You know, if you go down to a $9,800 bike, it's now $7,500. So yeah, they're, they're cheaper, but boy, that's, you know, for example, there's a Fuel EX998 XT 2023. It went from $6,749 to six, So $750 bucks. And you got to use bike. I don't know what to say about that. To be perfectly honest, I think that's kind of goofy. Now there are advantages to to this, I guess. Um, they are warranted for life. They say. Now, I don't know exactly if that's the exact same type of warranty that you're going to be talking as a new one, where no matter what, you know, you crack it ten years from now. Got 30 days to return it if you don't like it. They drop it off at your front door. That's kind of cool. Um, everything in the box to build it up is included. Um, cracks me up. They're they're touting the uh, better for the planet a bit. Yeah, that's really why they're doing this. Come on, they're selling. They want to sell bikes. Nothing wrong with that. They don't have to turn everything into an environmental benefit. Um, Somebody paid for the bike. It was made. So the fact that somebody's not buying a new one doesn't really matter in the end. I can't believe. What do I know? I could be could be wrong on that one. So that's it. Drop it off at your door. You buy a used bike. The only advantage I can see at all is the warranty. Because you most certainly don't get a warranty when you buy one off a marketplace. You could, however, if you inspect it properly and negotiate a good deal, save way more probably buying buying locally used. I've, I've bought several used bikes on eBay and had zero problems with my, but I saved way, I saved a crap load on my fat bike. You know, $4,000 fat bike, got it for $1,800. Bucks. Uh, so Wojtek, you know, practically new condition, had upgraded tires and rotors and a couple other little things that I liked. So I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. I never really uh, looked at what Specialized is doing in that regard, but interesting that Trek would go down that that path. 
and try and get in on that market. Um, what else? Let's talk about um, one more interesting thing in the gear. Luca Schwartzbauer's bike with the uh, Keep It Steady system, the KIS system. Uh, you may have seen this. It's a little internal kind of a strap thingy. Uh, I can't exactly describe it real well. It's supposed to help slow down kind of the steering, uh, you know, in, instead of, you know, downhillers have been known for years to use these type of systems where kind of dampens the, the left-right turning on the bike and kind of slows it down. I've never ridden one or anything with one, so I don't really know. But apparently there was a test bike, and it looks finished. They call it a test bike, but it's, it's as ready to go as I've ever seen a, a test bike. So Now, Canyon, of course, is the manufacturer. I've been looking all year, quite literally all year, at Canyon's website because they have had zero Canyon Lux cross-country bikes ab above the absolute bottom of the line say bottom of the line as if it's a bad thing. It's not the cheapest one. How about that? The entry-level one. They've had none of the top line or the second-line bikes for sale that I've seen. Used clearance, nothing. It just keeps saying coming soon. In fact, I don't think they released any of the um, actual World Cup bikes that uh, they raced all summer long. They've been on their website all year. Have never been for sale, so I'm, I'm guessing they're just gonna skip the entire year, which is really weird. They keep sending me emails, you know, you're ready to buy a bike. It's like you don't have any. You literally have no bikes that I would buy, and you haven't for over nine months since I've been looking. So that kind of sucks. What are you? What are you gonna do? Um, there are a couple thousand cheaper than kind of a local trek or specialized. So it's it's not something I would be against trying. I do not need assembly help at a shop. I've been doing my own work for years. So I might, you know, might probably be a good candidate for one of these type of purchases, either a Fazari or a Canyon or something like that. But if they don't have them, so I, can I assume maybe that they're saving it and they're going to release it entirely yet again, although they just released a new one a few years ago. Seems a little early to, to completely do it again, but maybe they're going to release another one with this system in place and more tweaked geometry. Although the bikes I see the World Cup people riding looks to be the same as always, so who knows? But that's interesting. Maybe that type of thing might take off. The other interesting thing about that bike is it had egg beater pedals and Max's tires, which is really weird. Um, I'd say it was just somebody else's bike entirely if I didn't notice the weird backwards rigid seat post which Luca seems to use I know he you know he rides a rigid post most if not all the time but I never realized that it was it's a zero offset but the head is offset looks like a little bit maybe 10 millimeters or something and he's got it flipped backwards to push the seat forward more interesting because he doesn't look like he would need to push his seat forward who knows it's a test bike. Maybe it's all for nothing. Um, that's it for right now. That's enough talk about Trek. Um, the Zwift hub with the single speed did come out. I, I've never really talked on here about Zwift in 
uh, indoor training. But now that the weather is getting crappy already, you know, I've already done a couple rides indoor, uh, and I quickly remembered how much I truly hate it, but do put up with it. I, I did notice, and I'll talk about this more probably next week, um, I did a whole bunch of indoor riding all through the winter in in 2022, and then for 2023, I did not do very much, and the difference uh, in how I was able to get going in the spring when it warmed up was definitely noticeable. So I'm probably going to go back to my schedule of riding much more indoors over the winter and not letting that go for weeks on end and then trying to get going again. So, all right, let's move on to some racing real quick. Got some good stuff going. Racing news and views. All right, Mont Saint Anne is coming gone. Puck Peterse. That's how I say it. Peterse. It's probably Peterse. I don't know. Um, she's the queen of 2023, no doubt about it. She kicked butt all year. She won a bunch, uh, you know, off and on, and always was up front and always kind of lurking. Uh, so. Congratulations to her for somebody. I mean, I was watching her last year in the cyclocross. I loved watching her and Femme Van Empel and a few other uh, women just battling and battling. And you never knew who kind of was going to be on that day. So for her to come over like um, several other cross uh, young ladies they, who just didn't make a mark at all in the cross-country world. She seemed to come over like it was nothing and just started winning and winning. So hats off to her. She's already said she's going right to cyclocross like this weekend, or was it last weekend? I think she was insinuating that uh, I didn't follow up and watch any of the cross races last weekend, but I think she said she was going to go, basically have no time off and go right into that. So... That's going to be cool. I don't think she's at Waterloo this weekend. I have to look that up. I mean, it is the start of the UCI World Cup Series for cross, and a lot of Europeans are here to get kind of a jump on it, but I don't know. I don't know if she's going to do that. Pidcock made some mention of the next time he races a bike will be cross, but he didn't say when. So on a side note, getting off topic slightly, I read, I believe, on Mountain Bike Action Magazine's website that Pidcock supposedly is racing a marathon mountain bike race in Arkansas this weekend, which kind of makes no sense, really. Um, I looked at his Instagram, no mention of it. Again, the last kind of thing he mentioned was racing cross. So I don't know who who put that article together or what gave them the idea that he was going to stay in North America and race a mountain bike marathon. It's not like it was a, you know, world championships or anything. So weird. So I'm doubting that. So I don't know if he how long he's going to take a break, but every time he was racing uh, cross with Vanderpoel and Van Art he was always third, seemed like. He couldn't quite hang with those two um, 
more, more slightly more powerful riders, which is hard to believe because he's won everything mountain bike that he seems to want to win. So, but anyway, short track was good at Mont Saint Anne. Laura Steger came uh, to the front. Loana LeCompte is really come on strong. She's always the one who I don't know since she came out a couple years ago and really kind of went to the top quickly. People seem to not talk about her that much as a potential winner, but she has been, she not only won the uh, XCO, of course, Sunday, but she got second in the short track. So that's pretty cool. Rebecca Henderson getting third. She was kind of, I thought, on her way back. One woman I'd like to mention, uh, Martina Berta from Italy. She's the last couple of years, you know, been in the kind of off the podium range, fifth to 18th type of a range where close you know clearly talented and clearly faster than most other uh of the pack fill but this year she just kind of seemed to go you know what almost as if she said you know i'm just gonna go for it i'm just gonna haul butt right from the go and last see how long i can last uh so she ended up fifth on the xco which is really cool she's been kind of uh, i'm guessing next year First of all, she's on the uh, Santa Cruz team, I believe. Well, she's riding a Santa Cruz bike. Uh, she wears the I Italian uh, champion, I believe, jersey. But I would think somebody from one of the absolute biggest teams in the sport might want to grab her because she kind of is coming up slowly but surely, which is probably a better way to do it than just kind of show up and start winning and then fall off the back never to be heard from again so she's a hot property i bet for if 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 her contract is going to be up in the next year or two um, so that was good you know the under 23 races uh, i actually enjoyed they had some seriously wet holy cow were they wet and muddy it almost looked dry by the time the men uh, xco went off in the afternoon so you know riley amos from the u.s yay uh Bjorn Riley, which is really confusing to have two Rileys. What are the chances? Um, got third. Madigan Monroe got third. Um, so they're they're hanging with the best in the world. So that's very cool. Um, there's a couple interesting young women who are, at least one of them is going to be moving up to the elite next year. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but other than that, I personally thoroughly enjoy it. I always have enjoyed a mud race. I just love them. I don't know why. It just adds that little bit extra unknown to a race. So often, you know, as much as I love watching cross-country racing, within a lap or two, they, they're almost set in stone. If somebody's in eighth place on lap three, by the time they get to the finish line on lap six, they may be in seventh or ninth, you know. It's like people do get in their little positions and, you know, seem to stay there. So this was a little more unpredictable. Kind of felt for Matthias Flickiger as, man, was he giving it kind of like he used to in the old day. Everything he had to stay or get in front of Pidcock. You know, would he have actually won without his flat tires? I don't know. Pidcock, I swear, he looks like he's hardly even trying out there. Like, you could almost see him holding it all back, just putting in enough effort to kind of keep it interesting 
And then when he finally decides, all right, I'm just going to go, he seems to just be able to effortlessly go and nobody will keep up. So that part of it was boring because once I saw him at the front, I thought, well, he's just going to do like he always does. If, you know, just kind of sit back, chill out, and then in the last lap or two, just, just hammer it and that'll be that. So I don't think Flickiger personally could have won uh, either way. Nino, of course, had to get, uh, I believe, 13th or better if Flickiger won. It was only if he won. If he gets second, it didn't really matter so much because of the extra 50 points, I believe. It is 50 for a win that you get on top of. So, you know, it was so kind of very close there. Nino was having some serious issues. He barely kind of <laughs> squeaked into that ninth overall title. Um, but surprising in many ways, I think, was, was that Flickiger was in second for the title. Because he, you know, he kind of flew a little under the radar to me. I mean, he was up there and had some good races, but I would not have guessed. I would have thought Jordan Saru would have been second, maybe, with with fairly big gaps between everybody. So, interesting how that ended. Uh, it was a good race. Kind of a bummer now that they're all over with. You know, Puck being uh, the youngest, officially now the youngest overall winner. Yolanda Neff was originally, and they're the same age at the time, but Yolanda Neff's birthday happens to fall a little later in the year. So Puck is officially, by I don't know how big of a gap, a couple months, I'm guessing, a couple days, I don't know. She is officially the youngest overall winner. And in her first year, no less, which is just insane. Uh, I was going to, so let's... That's it for that. I mean, it was a great, great race. And you could clearly tell most people looked completely worn out and beat and kind of glad it was all over with, which I guess is to be expected. Uh, there were a few more races this year than last year. I think there was eight this year and I think six maybe um, in years past. And I was all excited that, hey, eight more, we got you know, more stuff to watch. So maybe that, with all the championships and all these other things, maybe that really did kind of push push everybody. Everybody seemed to be sick and wore out um, with all the traveling there. So now they know how the North Americans feel who don't live in Europe. They have to do that seven, six to seven times a year to get these races in. So overall, it was a good year. And I'm going to have a... First ever short travel gear award something. I'll come up with a catchy name because there's a. I'm going to go through all the races. I've been taking notes all year on kind of favorite this, best that, best looking this or that. Kind of just an overall summary of the year in ways that maybe most people didn't think about while they were watching them. That could be fun. So I'll have that done in the next couple weeks. And what else? Uh, it is cross time. Uh, the Iceman Cometh, which is a very large mountain bike race in northern Michigan, is November 4th. As I mentioned previous podcast, I am into, into that race. I waited and waited and got on a waiting list and just found out a few weeks ago after all summer that I did, in fact, get a slot. So I am all signed up. I got a hotel and 
my I will explain it more why this one is really important to me. So important that I'm actually training now this month for the next three weeks. Started a week or two ago. Harder than I have all year um, just to try and do my absolute best at this last cross-country race of the year. Uh, I'll explain that more in detail next week, though. And I guess that's it for the racing. Um, let's go. Let's do, let's do a quick old school, then we'll wrap it up. Let's talk about the old school. All right, old school. Are you ready for this? There was a race that I watched, 1992 World Cup, Hunter Mountain, New York. Uh, it was the reason it caught my eyes because I just finished watching the Mount St. Anne. You know, it was wet and, and slick and muddy. And I don't exactly know if Google is spying on me even more than I thought, but suddenly this video shows up in my YouTube feed of Hunter Mountain. 92, the muddiest, wettest looking race I think I've ever seen. Uh, it looked terrifying, to be honest with you. Now, these were huge, huge, long. This was a three hours, that's right, three hour race by the time they finished. And it looked like they were pushing their bike at least half the time. And even when they weren't pushing. The ground was so wet and thick and muddy and slippery. I mean, it was insane to watch these pros try and get through that. It was cool. Now, I, man, I wish we had some good, clean footage of these races because they're all from, like, VHS tapes uh, recorded off of, you know, standard definition television 30 years ago. They look like crap. So, man, if we could get some good, clean original footage from the masters that would be like a cool package to put together i'd pay for that i'd pay for a whole year of world cup races from either eurosport or i think the espn was showing them here at some point just just with clean video uh so you could see what the heck was going on but anyway a couple of interesting things uh tomac had his oakley glasses and he i i they look kind of homemade but he had these foam pieces at the bottom of his glasses touching his cheekbones all the way, kind of the whole bottom edge of the glasses like to keep crap out from, they weren't goggles. They, they didn't, they weren't those uh, Oakleys, original Oakleys where they had like a foam, I think JT had some too, like a foam strip across the top to see. It was at the bottom of the lenses to up against your face. That looked kind of cool. Um, but again, Mudfest, um, they did talk about bike weights, which was kind of interesting. Tomac's bike, he had the the disc wheel, and I believe it was the Raleigh, and they said it was 24 and a half pounds. And that seems a little heavy. I could be wrong. If my, I mean, my 26-inch uh, bike was less than that and I certainly didn't have any exotic cool stuff on it it was just kind of cross max wheels you know XTR stuff but uh, Tim Gould from the UK they kind of weighed his bike and it was two pounds heavier 26 and a half so interesting um, not sure 
I remember much about bike weights back then. I didn't, you know, I know people were weight weenies, but uh, that was quite bizarre. The other interesting thing, and this would never fly, I don't think, nowadays, but the women uh, started kind of like a local race right behind the men. So the men elite went off, you know, all of them went flying up the hill. Now, they didn't say how many minutes between them, but if the television footage was kind of in real time, it looked to be about five minutes. And then the women went off. Uh, they didn't have a separate start time, so they were on the course. In fact, if you watch the women's race, some of the leaders are flying around. They've caught up, of course, and are trying and getting tangled up with the men elite. Um, Furtado and, and uh, Chantal Decor, remember her? I think she was... They were both GT at the time. So I don't really know. I don't remember them ever doing that where they didn't run a completely separate men and women's race, not at the same time. And that's what they do locally. But this was an elite World Cup. So hmm. so things have changed for the better in that regard. I would think women would not want to deal with that because the fastest women are most certainly faster than the slower men for sure. So they would... They have enough problem catching up to, you know, lapping the women who aren't quite as fast as the leaders now. So you add men into that mix, that could be be messy. So that's it. I think uh, that's enough for the old school. And next week, um, well, I'm going to watch the Trek Cup ne uh, this weekend, the C1 and the C2 cyclocross races. If you're... If you're not already watching the cross races and you have a GCN or Discovery whatever subscription, I would check some out because I find them to be extremely entertaining, almost more so than watching a cross-country race. They're quicker and they're usually in crappy weather. These first early season ones, not always. Certainly as we get, get in in November and December over in Europe, it gets to be really messy. They got some killer hill hill drops and sand bogs and i don't know i find it very exciting to watch so i kind of look forward to that and of course fat biking season is right around the corner i'm hoping my uh, extended fitness for the Iceman cometh will translate because the very next weekend the first fat bike race the huge ass fat bike race up in uh, southern wisconsin starts i love those they're more for fun I don't really take them too seriously, and I don't, you know, I'm not competitive anyway. I just do it for fun. But maybe I'll have some extra fitness from working so hard this month, uh, whereas normally it's the opposite. I normally do not work hard this month. My last cross-country race is usually the end of September, and then I kind of become a fat lard for, uh, sitting on the couch and not riding, and then just go right into the fat bikes about uh, 20 pounds overweight and very unmotivated which I enjoy be perfectly honest there's nothing wrong with that so we'll see what happens this year alright that's it talk to you later thank you ever so much for listening to Short Travel Magazine 